mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. I'm going to take this up. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzolo, back! I'm back! Welcome Still back here. to your own podcast. And Sam Watson. Yeah, it's good to be back. How'd, how'd it go? Time. Numbers are through the roof. I know. Yeah. Everything's great since I left. If you were a data-driven person, you, you wouldn't wouldn't make good viewing for you. Oh, there's, uh, there's some confounding variables in there. You put draft in the title for all of them. I'm just saying. When you put draft in the title, they cook. We didn't put draft today. It's going to look like I'm the worst, like I'm a like I'm an anchor holding us down here. You weren't in the chair, and all of a sudden the numbers spike. It's been a while. It's like all last week, the first two days of this week. Yeah. I was at the Combine last week while you guys were on Radio Row. I was uh, in meetings nonstop mm-hmm. with teams, Tuesday through Thursday. And um, Friday, I went off to the Sloan Conference. We didn't get your reaction to uh, my 40 time. What do you think? 533. Yeah. In jeans. Jeans, sneakers, yeah. pretty much dressed like this. You look like a 5'1 guy who's 5'3 in jeans. I think I so. I think I could take You're it. 40. You're 40. You're 40. tents off. You're yeah. 40 years old running a 40. It's not easy. It's not. Little not respect easy. for uh, Rich Eisen being sub, you know, as a, as a non-athlete. We, what are we? A little bit older, running in a suit, yeah. trying to break six but all cleats. those years. But cleats. He did have cleats. Cleats is a big difference. That's true. So, Traction. Uh, what do we, we looked him up the other day. He was like, he's 53 or something. So. I heard you guys talking about he feels older. Well, Renner thought he was older, based yeah. off 20 years of being the, the anchor of NFL Network. But yeah, yeah he was like, the guy. He's like a six-flat guy-ish. You know, I got seven tens on that. I'm impressed impressed by you. And sneakers. I think there's a couple of tents in cleats. You're a 5'1 so, guy. I'm a, I'm a five-flat guy, I think. 5'1". I, I think at my it. peak, I maybe could have cranked out a 4'8". My, see, that's the problem, is coming from my peak, which was like high 4'6s, low 4'7s, it's like, wow, that's, that's, that's fallen quite away. Yeah. Um, well, we got a lot to talk about, and you have some stuff going on. You might need to bail at some point, and it I'll just finish the show. Possible, yeah. Okay. First of all, though, we uh, you going to show us your gift? Oh, is we I got, supposed to show that right well, now? Well, why not? Let's go grab it. We, Stay on Sam. We've been hooked up by the good people at the, I should probably find out where they're from, the Houston Sabercats, I believe, uh, who sent It's not you a, a kid. It's just a jersey. It's just a jersey. Just a jersey. That's going to be your rugby apparel. I'm a rugby guy now. I've got my jersey. It is a Houston Sabercats. Good. Got it Houston Sabercats, and I will... Uh, of the Major League Rugby. Of Major League Rugby. I will play like a Sabercat. So you've got that one. I have one that's like the inverse. It's black yeah. on the top, yellow on the bottom. I'm excited. I'm now excited. all we need is the guy who's in the middle of the Six Nations right now to find They're going to give me some drills. They're going to give me something some to do. That's Otherwise, beautiful. I might have to go back to the Sabercats people, cap in hand, and say like, hey... Would you guys have anybody capable of sending us a video yeah. for Steve to replicate? Because that's our pro- holdup right now. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Whenever, uh, whenever you have the drills for me, I'm ready. I'm going to start. I'm going to start working out. Mm-hmm. Should be fun. As I've said over the last six years, we'll start oh, yeah. working out. It's going to happen. Absolutely. All right. There's a lot to discuss here, and we're trying to keep this show. We got to keep it somewhat tight. We might need to roll over some of this into tomorrow, some mm-hmm. of Aaron Rodgers discussion and all that. But let's start with. Uh, we want to get to Lamar Jackson. All the franchise tags are in and finalized. Daniel Jones signed a big contract, and if we have time today, maybe we'll do it tomorrow. Uh, when I was on the Sloan analytics panel, there, were, there was some interesting discussions. 
And I'm not going to lie. I feel like I left a little on the table there. <laughs> this is like, I'm, I want to go full, you don't know Seinfeld, no. but full George Costanza jerk store rebuttal where George, George, like it took him a day to figure out the best, like the comeback yeah. when somebody insulted him. Mm. That's me. Like three days later, I want to go back. I know what I should have said at Sloan. So I'm going to go full Costanza jerk store rebuttal here on uh, what I could have said to Kevin Demoff and Thomas Dimitrov and uh, Jackie Davidson, my uh, my colleagues on the panel. Uh-huh. See, I mean, it was an interesting discussion. Like, I, I, you know, I thought there were some fascinating points made. There was also some terrible points made, and that's where you definitely let yourself and everybody around you down. I did. Why I not? could have... Yeah. I could have pushed back but to on be the fair, establishment. In your defense, at that point in the panel, it had been very like formulaic of, you know, moderator asks a question, somebody answers, back to the moderator, back to the next person. Like there hadn't been the kind of cross, you know, jumping over each other at that point where yeah. you could have been like We failed. Hey, we should have no. done better there. Anyway, we'll do that at the end. Okay, let's go. So Lamar news. Jackson, the non exclusive franchise tag. Yeah. Give a quick explanation of what this means. Okay, well, so he can negotiate with teams. Ravens can match. Yeah, basically. The, the exclusive franchise tag is the one that everybody typically thinks of, right? You put an exclusive franchise tag on you, it means you that guy he's locked in essentially. His choices are sit out and not get money, or sign your franchise tag, play for one year, guaranteed money, and that's the thing. the The non exclusive one though is a lower dollar figure, but it means that you can negotiate with other teams. And if those teams sign you to an offer sheet, your team has the option to match that contract. And by that, it means exactly match that contract, like including the structure of all the money. So you can't just take, you know, the, the headline figures and go, well, yeah, we'll give you that as well, but it'll be structured differently. It's the structure of the contract as well. And if they do that, you keep the player. If, they, if you don't match, you get two first round draft picks back. Um, Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap had a good article about this that's a must-read. Um, his reading of the CBA, which he is at pains to point out, is always vague and therefore not necessarily locked in, though the language here does appear to be pretty specific. They are locked into those two first-round picks. So you'll see a lot of people elsewhere saying, oh, the Ravens can still negotiate a higher trade, etc. Doesn't appear to be the case. They are locked in to two first-round draft picks as compensation if they trade him. Um, and then the other thing that appears to be locked in is the team has to have either their own draft pick, first round draft pick this year or next year, or one of higher value. So if you traded away yours and traded one back and therefore have a higher pick than you would have had, that still I think is valid, but you can't have a lower one or you can't be involved in this if you don't have one. So the 49ers, for example, or Miami are off the table th before the draft because they don't have a draft pick this year first round okay so we got all the rules there here here were the so then so this happens right we got to this point because this has been brewing for a while the yeah. ravens and lamar jackson have not been able to come to a long-term agreement and just to catch everybody up if you're new lamar jackson represents himself doesn't have an agent mm -hmm. he's uh he just finished his fifth year in the league the this fifth is, year option this is awful by the way the uh I tried the Keurig. Well, I tried hot chocolate in the Keurig, oh, and you, it's uh, it's terrible. You were the ones who told me never try hot the hot chocolate in the Keurig. Yeah, I'm I'm relearning why because that tastes like mud. We used to have like hot chocolate Friday afternoons here in the office, and you'd say, "No, that's a bad idea." It really is. It's a terrible yeah. idea. I'm anyway, glad. carry on. That was well worth interrupting. Thank me. you, um, <clears throat> Lamar. 
finished his fifth year. And now all these were because they did not come to this long-term agreement. There were rumors about franchise tag and will they figure it out? And compounding here is the fact that Lamar Jackson has an MVP under his belt in his second year back in 2019, but he's also missed each of the last two seasons due to injury toward the end. And the Ravens have fallen apart. So there's a lot of things battling against each other. We see the peak career grade was 2019, 90 plus when he won the MVP, took a bit of a dip in 20 and 21, even though the team was still very good with him under center. Last year, Lamar was back, uh, running the ball better than ever, his highest grade since 2019. So that's where we are. And now the, here are the rumblings coming out of the combine. The non-exclusive tag is allowing other teams to negotiate with Lamar rather than the Ravens, right? This, the, the Ravens like Lamar Jackson, right? Whether, whether or not they picked him over Hayden Hurst or not, they like him. They've built their offense around him. They've had success with him. They want Lamar Jackson to be their quarterback. But this has been a two-way street. This isn't the Ravens are holding out or Lamar's holding out. They have both brought it to this point, I believe. And the rumblings around the combine are that this move tries to let Baltimore absolve themselves of the negotiation process. Let someone else do it. Let someone else deal with Lamar in the open market and then if the deal comes back and it's reasonable enough, we'll match it. We'll get him back in the building. That, that, those were the rumblings coming out of Indy last week. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is a really interesting gamble by Baltimore because I think all the way along, everybody was always assuming that this would go one of three ways. They would sign him to a long-term contract extension. They would beat the deadline. They'd get the deal done. They'd come to an agreement. Case closed. Number two, they don't get a deal done. They franchise tag him, and he ends up playing – on the franchise tag, one year, you know, $45 million or whatever it was, and then we do it all again next year, the Dak Prescott kind of route. Or number three, they don't get the deal done, they franchise tag him, and they then try and trade him away. But always we were thinking of the exclusive franchise tag. Like they're not going to let him get exposed to the open marketplace where other teams can come in and give him an offer. But they have taken that gamble, and what they are essentially doing is saying – we believe, Baltimore believes Lamar Jackson is being unreasonable looking to replicate what is an outlier contract in the Deshaun Watson deal. The five-year, fully guaranteed contract that doesn't exist anywhere else in the NFL. The only other sort of significant fully guaranteed deal of note is Kirk Cousins, which is two years shorter, right? Right. So the, the sort of counter to the long, fully guaranteed deal is, well, we'll give you maybe a fully guaranteed deal, but not for five years three maybe so that if everything goes to hell we could both get out of it you know um so they said we think you're being unreasonable trying to replicate this deal it's not where the market is and to prove it we're going to let you go and find out from other teams see if anyone else is willing to go there and actually it's even more than that gamble because it's kind of there's an implied um challenge in that because it's so much less money the the non-exclusive tag is significantly less than the exclusive tag. So they're saying, not only do we not think you'll get this deal elsewhere, but we're willing to dare you to go do it by putting you on less money. But that's, there's a question in the chat. Why wouldn't teams just always use the non-exclusive tag? It's because if a team does make an offer, you pretty much have, you have to, you have to match it or, or lose the player. Yes. So there's only been six non-exclusive tags given to quarterbacks through the years. Uh, I believe this was Jeremy Fowler, his story on, ESPN. Is it Jeremy? Yes. It is. We met him. Mm -hmm. Where did we meet him? A no, it's actually someone else. We met Jeremy at the uh, 
Maggie and Perloff Super Bowl party. Oh, the Maggie and Perloff party, of course. Uh, Steve Young, 49ers back in 93. Jim Harbaugh, Colts 96. Drew Brees by the Chargers in 2005. Matt Castle by the Patriots in 2009. And then Kirk Cousins, Washington in 2016. All the teams uh, did not lose their quarterback through the, ex- through the non-exclusive tag, although the Patriots ended up uh, creating a – they traded Matt Castle to the Chiefs who signed him to a six-year deal. But everyone else ended up back with their respective teams, basically. So there's not a huge precedent for other teams swooping in and stealing the quarterback. Mm-hmm. But maybe there is. Well, it's Maybe also, there's a, a market for that now. Of those quarterbacks, only Steve Young is in the category of Lamar Jackson, right? Right. And this was like right at the start of – free agency, franchise tag sort of situations where, let's be honest, teams had no earthly idea what they were doing, right? So anything could have happened there through just random-ass chance because nobody had any idea how to play the game at that point from a roster construction, salary cap management, you know, asset management type of position. NFL teams now are much, much better at understanding how to handle all this. So it is kind of a unique situation for this to get to where it is. And it really is just that gamble of, we don't think you're going to get the kind of deal that you think you're going to get. Now it becomes, all right, this is all of a sudden an option. So which teams should be interested? Because it's going to cost you two first-round picks. So theoretically, that's fairly reasonable. Like Russell Wilson went for two firsts, two seconds, and a bunch of more players and other things as well. Like that was a lot more than this. so that, theoretically, and then they signed him to the giant extensions. So it's not like it didn't come with extra money as well. That's kind of your benchmark of what the trade should look like. So theoretically, to get Lamar for just two first-round picks is a steal. Um, you know, Obviously, a team like Houston needs a quarterback, but they'd have to give up number two overall, which I think probably makes it unlikely for them. Indianapolis needs a quarterback. They'd have to give up four overall, which is more palatable, but... You know, it's it's particularly palatable if they're thinking of trading to go to number one, you know, or to, to get the quarterback in the draft. They would use the same two first-round picks potentially to get one quarterback. Exactly. So if you're thinking but, of doing that anyway. Then it's, the mon- then it's the money difference. Of course. Would you rather pay Lamar five years maybe close to guaranteed or would you would you rather have your choice of quarterback? But it's the money draft? versus the certainty of we get actual Lamar Jackson versus potential whoever in the draft. You know what I mean? Yeah, in this – Look, I know a lot of teams came out and said they're not interested right away. Which is the one confusing aspect of all of this. I don't understand why there was like this blanket. Sources say the whatever are not going to be in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes. Like five minutes after it came out that he was being tagged. That, that's weird. You're going to hear a lot of the word collusion surrounding this whole thing. I'm not buying that that's the explanation simply because I don't believe NFL owners are that stupid. That if they were colluding, they would be like... Hey, guys, everyone say we're not in. <laughs> like, if you were doing that, you wouldn't announce it. Like, hey, actually, it turns out we're not interested. See ya. So there's something else going on there. But I, I do wonder weird. if there are individual teams just pushing back on, look, it got to this point because of the Deshaun Watson contract. It got to this yeah. point because Lamar wants that or something close to it, and we don't want to play that game. We don't want Cleveland. I mean, is this collusion? If everybody doesn't want Cleveland – in their their move on Watson. Is this actually is this actually collusion? If everybody just doesn't want to play that game, we don't want that to be the new market value for quarterbacks. We want to play the old game where it's Mahomes and Allen and there's flexibility, or it's three years guaranteed. We don't want to play this Deshaun Watson game contract wise. I mean, I think it's 
obvious that everybody does not want that contract to be to be a precedent, and yet it is. Um, but I think the difference is. So Fitzgerald made an interesting point in his article, which is, you, you know, everyone's going to make the point of, well, Cleveland went and gave Deshaun Watson five years, fully guaranteed last year. They had to trade for him, blah, blah. Like, there's always a desperate team. There's always a team desperate enough to go do that. Why is it not happening this year with Lamar? Well, the one big difference is there was one team willing to do that last year. Like, the reason Cleveland got Deshaun Watson is because they came in with that contract when it looked like they were behind Atlanta and New Orleans and they went, they blew them out of the water and said, we'll give you that fully guaranteed deal. Done. And then Cleveland's all of a sudden got Deshaun Watson. So there was one team willing to go there a year ago, and that team isn't in the market anymore because they got their quarterback. So I don't think you can necessarily look at that and say, the team did it last year, therefore a team will be willing to do it this year. Maybe the Browns would have if they hadn't got a quarterback, but they do and they're not. In the, in the Browns last year, we're out. Out of the sweepstakes until they like, you know, go to ownership it's like okay this is our last chance let's right. do something crazy and then they did it so every other team was out after that so yeah that's what, basically what you're saying there might not be a team that's willing to do that and then the other interesting point why why teams might not be too interested in it is if they believe the ravens will effectively match any contract that's given like if they think the ravens are out here basically just using the market to negotiate for them and any deal that's going to get thrown at him will be less than the one he wants, right? If he affect, if Lamar Jackson essentially wants the Deshaun Watson contract plus inflation, right? We're talking five years, $250 million, fully guaranteed. The Ravens might be looking at this and saying, any contract that is thrown at him is going to be less than that. Therefore, we will match whatever. Like, we're not going to get to where he's going through negotiation. We'll let other teams negotiate for us, and any deal that gets sent his way is going to be one that we should match anyway. So if everybody else was looking at this situation and saying, why would we negotiate their contract for them if they're just going to sign him anyway? Like, if they're going to match it, all we did is waste time and negotiating and a week and planning and, like, tied up our salary cap that we can't spend elsewhere, like, while we're keeping it reserved for a contract that Lamar Jackson may or may not sign as we get to free agency. Like you can see why teams wouldn't necessarily want to jerk themselves around for a week doing that if they didn't think there was any chance of this happening. Unless you're going to make a crazy offer that the Ravens can't match. Which only a couple of teams are capable of doing. So there, there is a way. Effectively, you can't put a poison pill in the contract anymore. Anyone old enough to remember the Steve Hutchinson contract when the Minnesota Vikings signed him away from Seattle. Um, and then Seattle, didn't they get, was it Burleson they got back? Didn't they do the same thing like next year just to, just to screw with the Vikings? I think it might have been Burleson. I don't remember offhand. But. So the Hutchinson one, the Vikings essentially put a clause in that contract that said that he had to be the highest paid offensive lineman on his team, which for Minnesota with a bad offensive line was not a problem. But Seattle had Hall of Famer Walter Jones yeah. already on a monster contract, so that became a huge issue for them. They couldn't match, therefore he went to Minnesota. I think the deal was, I think it was Nate Burleson that, Minnesota, that Seattle signed after that to basically get back at them, and they put some ridiculous clause in it like he couldn't play more than two games in the state of Minnesota or something <laughs> without, his, without the number going through the roof, right? Well, so obviously Seattle, that's not a problem. Minnesota, that was a bigger deal. Then the NFL went, okay, this is getting ridiculous. We have to outlaw poison pills. But what you can do is structure the, the money in the contract and essentially put it in a year 
that another team is simply unable to get to from salary cap point of view. If somebody comes in, like, for example, the uh, Falcons, who are the one team that I don't quite understand why they wouldn't be involved in this. The Falcons have $61 million of effective cap space, and that's before you get to whatever they can do to free up cap space. Baltimore is $10 million in the hole. So the, the Falcons can structure a contract with so much money up front that Baltimore literally cannot match the deal. And therefore, he would immediately go to Atlanta and they would get two first-round picks back. I don't quite get why Atlanta is not in these sweepstakes because they have the money to make it happen. They have an offense that Lamar Jackson in, I feel, would look amazing. And, all right, the defense maybe isn't ready to contend, but that offense could be absurd if they had Lamar Jackson in it. So why wouldn't they be involved in this? The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. How'd you do with the, the ad reads while I was gone? It was solid. Did you push our friends at Western and Southern well enough? Did you, were you enthusiastic? I, I felt so. Well, except for the day I tried to get Tyler to chop it out from the last time I recorded it. He was not happy about that, so I had to, had to read it every day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm back. It's good to be back here. All right. We said we we're going to do 10-minute conversations on Lamar and Daniel Jones. There's so much to unpack here. So I, I, like, the, I like the Falcons as a potential option there as a team. What if, uh, what if the Bengals just threw an offer in, keep them away from Baltimore? He signs, and then you, then you trade him. Do all sorts of stuff. That's okay, that's not going to happen. What no. other teams could actually be in the market? Then we'll, we'll, let's wrap this thing up. I mean, what about – to me, it's the teams that aren't in the top ten, like Washington, who could use a quarterback. They've already said they're out like others, but is that just playing hard to get? Is that just saying, oh, we're not jumping – you know, we're not running to the table yet, but Washington feels like that team that hasn't been able to get into the top ten to get a quarterback over the last few years. Yeah, the problem is I think you – I mean, you need the camp space as well. Like, I, I think the actual list of suitors is quite small. Um, Atlanta makes a ton of sense. I think Houston are probably out just because of the pick they'd have to give up. Um, the Raiders make sense, but I think are probably out because somebody needs to cut a check for $250 million. And I don't know if Mark Davis has that. Like, if you're signing a guy on a contract, you need to put the guaranteed money in an escrow. Like, you need to have it. And yeah. there are certain owners that probably don't have $250 million in ready cash sitting around to be able to put in an escrow. And Mark Davis would be one of those. Um, the Giants would have been interesting, but they just tagged Daniel Jones. Uh, sorry, signed Daniel Jones to a, a long-term contract. The Patriots would be a sneaky one that could make some sense. Weren't they reportedly quite high on Lamar Jackson at draft time? Yeah, um, they were. And he went he went 31st, right? And they picked Sony Michelle at 32 yeah. that year. And then... Detroit would be another one that would be a sort of left field. And maybe Tennessee as well. Like I you know, but you're sort of trying to shoehorn it into Detroit and Tennessee and the Colts with the high draft pick. To me it's like it, I mean Atlanta makes all the sense in the world. I just don't understand why they're not front and center saying yes. Carolina would make sense as well, but they have similar cap problems to Baltimore. So we'll see how it plays out. As you talk through this, maybe this is part of the reason why the Ravens let it get this far. Obviously, you've got right. the, the human element of, you know, the push and pull here between the Ravens who the, and, and Lamar Jackson. But maybe you're letting it get to this point because you've 
assessed the market and said, look, there's only a couple teams we could lose him to. Mm-hmm. And unless they have a ridiculous deal, we'll match it and we'll bring Lamar back and, and go from there. I mean, if they had intel that for whatever reason, Atlanta was not interested in this deal, that's the one team that could really like construct a contract that Baltimore would be screwed trying to match. And you're absolutely right. The Giants have the third most effective cap space prior to the Daniel Jones deal, mm-hmm. but they signed Daniel Jones. Right. So they're out now. Yeah. So at that point, you're looking at it from a Baltimore's point of view. And you're like, who can actually construct a contract that we wouldn't match? Nobody, really. I mean, they could, but like anyone else doing that would probably screw themselves. So at that point, Baltimore's probably feeling pretty good about this. All right. So uh, prediction? I think he ends up staying in Baltimore still. Back now, to the, Baltimore. Now, here's the thing, though. What you have to ask yourself is how badly damaged is this relationship? Because that's the other element, the, the thing that you always hate, the touchy-feely stuff. Like, this effectively is a slap in the face to Lamar Jackson and like a dare. Like, they're goading him. They're actively saying, you know what, we're done. We're walking away from this dumbass contract that you're trying to get. You're not getting it from here. And you know what? You're not getting it anywhere else. And we're going to dare you to go do it. We're going to give you less money on this tag for you to have the privilege to go out and prove to yourself that you're not going to get what you think you're worth. And it's not even happening through an agent. Like, they're saying this to his face. And then, like, if the whole thing collapses, he ends up coming back to Baltimore. It's like, right, August, OTAs. Sup, Lamar? How's it going? Like that? Yeah, it matters. It does matter. It's, uh, it matters here. It's, uh, it- so that's the, the big question mark at all this. Like, if he ends up coming back to Baltimore, how much does everybody now hate each other in that room? Um, let's just get the – there were six franchise tags. I lost my list. Where's my list? I lost my list of franchise tag players. Uh, let's just wrap up who got tagged here. You've got Josh Jacobs Mm -hmm. by the Raiders, Deron Payne by the Commanders and on the defensive line, Tony Pollard by the Cowboys, Evan Ingram to Jacksonville, Saquon Barkley to the Giants. Mm -hmm. Having three running backs out of the six franchise tags, interesting, right? Because that speaks to the league saying, yeah, we'll pay them a reasonable one-year amount, but we don't want to get into this. 12 yeah. to $15 million a year yes. world. So we'll do it for the one year. It's like 10.2 or something for yeah. the running back position, which is, it makes sense for some of them. Um, the Giants, though, is, is the interesting topic because they, they placed their franchise tag on Saquon Barkley only, you know, obviously after they were able to free up the franchise tag by signing Daniel Jones to a long-term extension. That's one it feels like we need to talk about. I don't understand that. Well, let's talk about the Giants then. So the Giants get Daniel Jones... What was the report? I don't even know. Four years, $160 million with 35 additional in like uh, incentives that he can potentially earn, apparently. The real figures that are relevant are two years, $82 million over the first two years, which is pretty much guaranteed, I think, or fully guaranteed. Um, and then, so I don't, I, to me, the franchise tag was made for a situation like Daniel Jones where you have a guy who improved in his first year under a new offensive-minded head coach with a pretty bad supporting cast around him, and you say, all right, we think he'll be better going forward once we improve the environment and every you know year two, et cetera, but we don't know. And knowing is where you go when you sign a guy to four years, 160 million, or whatever the figures you want to throw at it are. Not knowing is when you're like, I'm going to hedge, and I'm going to give him and Daniel Jones, he could have had the non-exclusive one because who the hell is going to give up two first-round picks for Daniel Jones? So he like 
They could have paid him 32, 34. What was the non-exclusive number? Um, so they effectively, what they've done, let, let's boil it down. Because I, I tweeted this yesterday and it was like, well, they get the cap flexibility, dumbass. Like, yes. So what they've done is For effectively, what they've done is effectively buy themselves about $15 million worth of cap flexibility this year, right? For $48 million of guaranteed commitment to Daniel Jones. That's not worth it. It isn't. You don't need one year's worth of cap flexibility to to make this investment. Particularly right? when it's not like his cap number went from 30-something to zero. It went down to 19. They already have a ton of cap space. They could have done this and been fine. They could have tagged him and had plenty of cap flexibility to do whatever it is they want to do in free agency. You know, maybe outside of like go for the home run alpha number one free agent on the board, which is not something you generally want to be involved in anyway. So they've basically gambled that this is a guy that is going to turn into something much better than he's been so far. And it's cost them quite a lot of money to do that. But it's essentially a two-year deal, right? Yes. That they can get out of. At least, I think they at least got that part right, which is it's not really a four-year commitment to Daniel Jones. It could be. It's a two-year commitment for 80-plus million dollars. It's a two-year commitment at a at a pretty steep price. Um, I didn't think that they would do it. I mean, I honestly didn't think that they would that they would bring back Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. I think they were looking at it as a package deal, though, because I think they're looking at the Saquon thing, thinking his market's going to be 14 or $15 million a year. And they're saying, well, you know, we save some money there. We get him at 10 for the year, and we bring back Jones. It, it's, a, it's a tough one, man, because, look, I think Jones was good, and I know all of the – the stats are funny because he doesn't have a lot of passing touchdowns. And like Tom Brady's last two years, he only has a few fewer passing touchdowns than Daniel Jones has in his four years with the Giants. All of those things are true. Um, but I do think they they tapped into his rushing value. I think Dable knows what to do with Daniel Jones. And they're paying for certainty or familiarity. And I didn't think that they were going to do it, though. I really thought, and I, and I think this is a, a, te- a thing that teams need to be able to do, is understand their advantages, understand their schematic advantage. And I think it's easy for the Giants to look and say, Brian Dayball is our advantage. He helped Josh Allen. He helped Daniel Jones get a career year. Yes. Therefore, and then you can look at that two ways. You could say, well, we have experience with Dayball and Daniel Jones, or we could go the cheaper quarterback route and, and use our advantage, Dayball, who's going to play – to our quarterback strengths and get the most out of our offense and make the rest of the team better. I thought they were going to lean that way, but I think the human element comes in and you're paying for the certainty and you're paying for the known. I think it's risky, though, See, when, that's the with thing. all that money. People are using the day ball thing. So if you look at almost any number available to you, Daniel Jones looks rank average at best. The one number where that isn't true is EPA per play, right? Which, as we've talked before is not a quarterback number. It's used as a quarterback number, but it's effectively like passer rating adjusted for situation. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an amalgamation of the performance of the passing offense or the offense as a whole. In, yeah, in his rushing yeah, uh, exploits. In yep. which the coach is a huge driving factor. So if you have a guy who is coach of the year, right? Yeah. We have coach of the year over here, and the one outlier number in the statistical profile of the quarterback is a number that is massively influenced by coaching. What does that tell you? Well, it says you actually have a rank average quarterback 
who was being made into something by an amazing head coach. So why would you pay that guy big money? Because you can take any cheap quarterback and plug him in there and get, therefore, a supercharged version of that guy because you have the coach of the year. So it makes no sense to give Daniel Jones a giant big money contract off that reasoning. Um, But I, I agree that he can get better, which is why you hedge with a franchise tag. We give him one year at a reasonably cheap, fully guaranteed value. And then if he takes a giant leap forward once we get him a couple of receivers and some offensive line help, then we can talk. Yeah, I mean, if you want – the recent hedges were, say, Derek Carr to the Raiders. You know, when they, when, they, when they signed him, it was with an out, basically, after a couple of years. Ryan Tannehill to the Titans. There's already rumors about them moving on from him or whatever it is. You know, it's, the Titans were probably making the right move at the time because Tannehill – but Tannehill was playing way better. Yeah. than what Daniel Jones is playing right now. And it was, it was, this, it was a hedge, right? We'll do a couple of years at Tannehill. It's 30-ish million. We could build something around him. They just picked the wrong players to build around in Tennessee. But the hedges recently haven't been great. And then the other players to compare to, when we were talking to a bunch of people at the Super okay, Bowl. You mean the players haven't been great or the deals haven't the, been great? The results, basically, of those deals, right? Tannehill to the Titans and Carr to the Raiders and – because the, the goal here is still to, to win a championship. But that's kind of, but I, I would argue that that's kind of why the deals were good. Because the hedges didn't work out. So you don't want Sorry, yes. the kind of commitment. to Like if they'd signed the Deshaun Watson deal for any of those guys, you'd be screwed. So the, the hedges worked as in you could get out of them. Yes. Yeah, so, sorry, the deals worked. You didn't, you didn't get the fat tail there, Sam. You didn't reach the fat tail of the distribution, as our, as our nerd friends like to say. You didn't hit the peak, right? The tit- There's a world where the Titans, with a cheap Tannehill deal, they got a number one seed, and they could have stumbled in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And, and it wouldn't have been crazy for the Titans to do that with Tannehill at quarterback. They didn't achieve that. So the hedge worked. I get that part of it. But we didn't see the, the high-end result from any of those teams. The other long-term deals for, let's call it what it is, mid-tier quarterbacks that we've seen, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, so who else am I missing over the last few years? I mean, every, the teams wanted to move on within a couple of years. I mean, Dak Prescott is maybe the interesting one. Like, they ended up dragging this thing out, franchise taggy area. He gets a deal that now looks the same kind of money as Daniel Jones, but obviously he signed it way earlier, so, you know, inflation's working against him. Um, but, like, where are they now? Like, we're, we're reaching the point where people are asking the question, like, is Dak, should Dak be the guy? I just, I, I'm, I mean, my mind is blown that they didn't. I just can't understand. It's not worth, you've paid $50 million of commitment to this guy for $15 million worth of flexibility this year, which you don't need. You already have the third most effective cap space. You need everything. Like, that's, I, that's part no of the problem. Sense. Here's the deal. You mentioned Dak Prescott. Jalen Hurts is going to get paid as well. Daniel Jones is the third best quarterback in the division, right? He's the third best quarterback yeah. in that division. And I think there's something to be said for the NFC teams where it feels more wide open than the AFC, sure. where they all have the best quarterbacks. The NFC, having a Derek Carr could lead the Saints to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Having Daniel Jones can lead the Giants to the playoffs. Again, I think what's challenging is the Giants, who were supposed to be a rebuilding team, can they honestly look at their season and say, we're a 10 or 11 win team. We want to keep it together and then add, and then we're going to be better. Or do they really look and say, look, we, re- we were actually rebuilding. It's a miracle doing what we did. It's going to be tough to replicate. We still have to treat this like a rebuild. 
that was the problem with them making the playoffs last year in getting smoked by the Eagles, which is exactly where they stood in the right, hierarchy right. of teams, right? They got smoked by an Eagles team. That was correct. That was the right thing, right? The Giants should be able to look at their season last year and say, we overachieved. We're still really a six or seven win team. And now we have to treat it like that and move forward and make potentially drastic moves and trust this new coaching staff and trust this new front office to make the right moves. But the unknown is scary. The unknown is scary. And Daniel Jones had a good playoff game and they, they, they found a way to win with him and they just, they paid for the certainty. I mean, the other thing that I, th- I suspect is the case and makes me f- look less favorably on the decision is I'm pretty sure wanting to place the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley was a difference maker in the, in, in the negotiations with Daniel Jones. They wanted to free up the tag so that they could put it on Barkley and not let him walk. I would, I'm, I, look, I get it. You, you want a guy as talented as that, but you're better off letting him walk. You just are. He had a career year last year and had a PFF war figure of 0.22, which was good for the 245th most valuable player in the NFL. So, you know, you can quibble about where, what exactly that should look like, how, you know, but he's not going to move the needle for you. He's not going to be the reason you win or lose games if you screw up the quarterback and his environment. And by the way, if you franchise tagged him, you know, the, the 19 million turning into 34 or whatever it is, most of that is Saquon Barkley. So you let him walk, you get the flexibility back to do like to move the needle with a wide receiver or an offensive lineman that's going to do it. You know what I mean? Saquon Barkley, the motivation of wanting to free up that tag to place it on a running back and voluntarily tie up $10 million of your salary cap in a guy who we've seen, like Saquon Barkley is the case study for why you don't commit big to a running back because throughout most of his NFL career, he's been able to achieve nothing in terms of improving the fortunes of the team. 0.22 war is usually near the top for running backs. I think Barkley is probably like top five, top top three, top five. Yeah. He's achieved that, what, twice? I think his rookie season and last year off the top of my head. I don't have the numbers, but every year in between, there were injuries. There were, that's part of the risk as well, right? The running back position is going to get injured a little bit more. We don't need to, you know, beat a dead horse with that. But, yes, um, the non-exclusive would have been interesting for Daniel Jones because the rest of the league is probably not I mean, valuable. it's 100% the way I would have gone. I wouldn't yeah. have put the exclusive franchise the, tag on him. The rest of the league is not going to value Daniel Jones at that level to where they're going to offer up two first and pay him. Yeah. So you're going to get him one year on the cheap, prove it out again. And look, there is a chance. Here are the other examples. Tannehill could be a good one. Tannehill was a league average starter who became better, um, but then regressed back when they lose AJ Brown, lost AJ Brown. Geno Smith maybe have turned, has, has turned a corner and is different. There is a chance that Daniel Jones has turned a corner. And even though last year sure. wasn't spectacular offensively, it was much better He's turned a corner, and him and Dable are going to be better, and it'll be worth it. I just think you're you're risking being just a mediocre team. You're, yeah, they, you're risking just being settled for mediocrity instead of trying to beat the Eagles and the Cowboys, who are both better than you in your own division. They have gambled that Daniel Jones can take another big step next year and become something totally different to what we've seen so far in his NFL career. And it wouldn't be the first time that a team has done that and been right and other people have been wrong. Like, we didn't think Josh, uh, Josh Allen would take that leap in between years two and three. He did. The Bills were right. 
everyone else was wrong, they win, right? And they end up giving them the giant contract. They're now a perennial Super Bowl contender. Like maybe the Giants are right. And in a year's time, when Jones comes off a career year with better wide receivers and a better offensive line and year two in the day ball system yeah. and looks phenomenal, this will, there, this will then look like a steal of a contract. That, but they are the projecting other, a lot to get there. That is the one other point um, that needs to be made. I think it's fair to say we still haven't seen Daniel Jones with a good situation, mm-hmm. a good support, a good situation last year as far as his coaching staff. Right. But, you know, Isaiah Hodgins, great season as a breakout wide receiver. We, don't, we haven't seen him with great pass-catching talent. We haven't seen him with a great offensive line or even a good offensive line from a pass-protection standpoint. At the same time, the results have been like, mediocre. This is the part that will get cut out when, when the receipts are made, you know, in a year's time and Daniel Jones. Like, I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm simply saying that for the $48 million of guaranteed gamble it is, I don't think – I wouldn't play that side of the odds. You know what I mean? I think yeah. there's a better chance – that Daniel Jones doesn't justify $48 million of additional commitment than there is that he does. And therefore, I would play the franchise tag side of it. People are also saying, well, this, like the DAC deal, it's going to look different as more people sign. Of course, all but deals the, do. But more the people that are going to sign are Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Yes. Jalen Hurts. Guys that you're probably saying are better quarterbacks than Daniel Jones. Right. By the way, we've been, we got called out for the Dak Prescott thing a couple years ago. We said, look, we don't think he's worth $30 million. I think we miscalculated what $30 million meant at the time. Yeah. At the same time, the people who called us out, like, oh, you idiots, you, look how good Dak is. You were wrong. At the same time, we've also hit a point where people are saying, is Dak overpaid at $40 right. million? The number was off. Like, we, we, we effectively miscalculated the rate of inflation of quarterback contracts. But yeah. our point was he's not worth the contract that he's about to sign, which is ultimately the conclusion that people are now coming to. So, yeah. you know. And, and ultimately, I, I think Dak is the cutoff. I think he's the cutoff. I still think Dallas can win. They have other issues with the cap and building around him, and they had to make the team worse last year. I think Dak might be the cutoff, though. Mm-hmm. But even Dak is the cutoff. Or the Matt Ryan deal that we used to always say is, is the cutoff. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan and the Falcons weren't always a 10-win team. They fluctuated, too. That's, that's the thing. The top five, the true top five quarterbacks almost never have bad seasons. Right. Six to eight are capable of winning championships, but they also have some not-so-good seasons. It's an uncomfortable spot to be in because nothing is guaranteed to be making you a 10-win team. And the lower you go in the quarterback rankings, Daniel Jones, QB 15 or 18 or whatever he is, the lower you go with that, that level of investment, the I mean, lower the odds that you're going to be that championship caliber like, team. Just to put a bow on this, like look at Kirk Cousins as an example. Daniel Jones would need to improve a lot to be as good as Kirk Cousins has been consistently over the last few years. And, like, even the Kirk Cousins thing, like, the Vikings have been mediocre in that time. Like, they haven't achieved what they thought they would achieve with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. And that's a big leap for Jones to get into that kind of category. So, again, the chances of it working out just feel very low to me. I think that's a fair bow to put on the Daniel Jones situation. How do you feel about the, uh, the show here? We're 45 minutes in. feel great. It's outstanding. This is our. We're back to the regular sh- scheduled cadence of. <laughs> What's it like when you make you you throw it to Renner uh-huh. and he just gives you a sentence, and then you have to talk again? Yeah, it's, it's different, right? You it's... throw it to me, and you know you've got three or four minutes to mm-hmm. get your next point ready. Yeah, there was. I there's... throw it to you. I've got five minutes. There's been one or two occasions where, 
where Renner is, has given his, his pitch, you know, has sort of answered the question, finished, stop talking, and then I, I, we've sort of realized that there's one of us is going to have to start talking again. And Renner's kind of, he's taking it, he's, he's, he's learning, he's growing. He's taking it upon himself to go, okay, I'll, I'll give you more. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you a we little bit more. more. That's what we're trying to, we're trying to pull, extract more out of each other. Mm-hmm. That's why we go for multiple hours. Um, talk Geno Smith? Sure. Or do you want to save some for tomorrow? Well, so we, myself and Renner, I think, reacted live to Derek Carr. So let me just get your headline reaction to Derek Carr to the Saints. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next. Is that a fair Derek Carr reaction? It's one of those, like, I get it for the Saints. I wouldn't get it if it was the Jets as much. Yeah, I wouldn't feel good if it was the Jets because you know what they have to beat with the Saints. It's like, eh, well, that NFC South favorites. It's perfect. That leads us right into Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, which is obviously not happened yet, but the Jets are doing the full court press. They're traveling to California to pitch him on the Jets. They're courting probably, each other. It's They're probably courting. a much easier sell to convince Aaron Rodgers that he'll go to the Hall of Fame with the Jets than it was for Derek Carr. What do you think is the key to Aaron Rodgers' heart? Like, do you think you have to roll in there with some, you know, high-level thoughts on life? Like an Try existential to, conversation? Like, do, you think, do you think you, you have and to, like, I connect are both with Virgos. him in a different... We both yeah. believe in the, the purple crystals. Yeah, like, you gotta, I think you have to connect at some ridiculous high level just to, you know, earn his trust right off the well, bat. And then you start talking football. I mean, I guess that's a good question. Not that particular way you phrased it, but the question of like, what is the motivation? What is the motivating force behind Rogers at this point in his career? Like, what is he trying to do? Is he just looking for money? Is he trying to get a second Super Bowl ring? Is he just generally like, I want to play football. I want to be somewhere I'm wanted. Like, what is it he's actually chasing? Because if you get the MVP version of Aaron Rodgers, that guy makes the Jets a contender immediately. If you get the version from last year, that doesn't. Not in the AFC, anyway. Yeah, he had that quote a few, uh, a few weeks back that was taken out of context where he said, I could still play at an MVP level. And True. people only I took agree. that. Right, people only took that as like, oh, he only cares about MVPs. But the point he was trying to make is I can still. Well, it was Gronk. Gronk replied to him and was like, why are you even, why is that even the focus? Yeah, because like, Gronk not... does the same thing everyone else did, is they saw the snippet context-free and responded to it. No, no, but Gronk, so Gronk wasn't, he was sort of making the point, which I think is probably true, that those words would never come out of Tom Brady's mouth. He would never, he would say, he would answer the question, essentially the same question and the same answer, but his answer would be, I can still win a Super Bowl. It he wouldn't would, but, be, I can still play at an MVP level. But all level. he's saying is, I could play at a high level and lead a team to a championship. Right, I could but, be a part of a cha- Like He's saying Gronk's the same point, thing. Yeah, but it's different because Gronk's point is, why is your focus on that? Why is your focus in your answer on the individual like, go accolade? Go back and hear the entire answer. It's just the way your point. He, Whatever. We, said, we had the same thing with the Zach Wilson thing. Zach Wilson was trying to say, I'm going to compete with whoever comes in here. And what happened And he said it the wrong way, and he said, I'm going to make that guy's living hell. The other quarterback's going to be, yeah. Aaron Rodgers is going to come in. I'm going to make his life hell. He also said, no, I wasn't, with him. I wasn't the problem in this game. And now he's, he's like a third-string quarterback who has to shut up. Maybe that's why There's Rogers, something to words. Like, they Rogers matter. teammates don't like him. I think there is something to how you answer questions like that. I, I think Gronk's point is 100% correct. I don't think Brady would ever say that. And I think that might be part of the reason that, you know, Rodgers is Rodgers and Brady is Brady. Rodgers tied for 14th in PFF grade last year, 
4.5. There was definitely uh, there was he lost Devonte Adams. He had the receiver. I mean, this is what I should have said to Demoff too, right? <laughs> this Kevin is the Demoff. move though. This is the move the Jets need. Like, the, oh yeah, they were trying to keep Derek Carr sweet just in case they had to go to Plan B, and then the Saints signed him. But like, this is the move that the Jets have to get done this offseason, right? It's the only plan A that they can – it's the only quarterback move they can make. I think so. I they mean, can challenge in the AFC. I look at the AFC differently than the NFC, right? I mean, the same thing. Like, the Derek Carr signing in New Orleans, hey, it might not lead to a Super Bowl. But you're putting him in a nice domed environment where they've had success throwing the ball over the years and they, 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 could, they got a lave and they can figure out playmaker and all that stuff. They could be the favorites in the NFC South. Sure. Derek Carr with the Jets – same thing. He's QB three or four in the division. Yeah. Derek or, or at least the like the, the passing offense will be the third or fourth best passing offense in the division for a lot of money. Right. Aaron Rodgers, though, gives you a guy that can compete with Josh Allen in that division you add Derek for a Carr, year or two. You add Derek Carr to the Jets, and you're still not 100% convinced they don't finish bottom of the division. Correct. You add Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, you would say they should be challenging the Bills to win that division. No, they could. it could be that Rodgers is actually regressing, and it's going to be tough for him to – you know, learn a new cast of characters and all that stuff. And now they've got all these reports about how they, uh, you know, he didn't do the OTA thing and he just didn't, he didn't want to get on the same page as the receivers. And then he blamed them for not being on the same page as him and all that stuff. Is he going to work at it? Or is he checked out? Is he still in the darkness? That's a pretty outstanding comment. Jake Thornton in the chat says Aaron Rodgers is old enough that Zach Wilson might try and steal his girlfriend. Oh, that's, huh. I mean, is that a consideration? Like, do you, you say, Aaron, are you concerned? We'll, we'll move him. We'll get rid of him if, yeah. if that's what it takes. You know, if you're, if you're worried about that, we'll ship him off. Aaron is, uh, he's done here. Is Zach's hero in everything, too. Yeah. You know, he throws, he throws funky like him, with, you know, just flips his hips and all that stuff. And also, it would be kind of funny if the Jets successfully pulled off the move that Denver tried to do a year ago when they, you know, we bring in Nathaniel Hackett to woo Aaron Rodgers. Can't make that happen. Then we pivot to Russell Wilson and the entire franchise gets blown to hell. The Jets hire Nathaniel Hackett and they get it done. They get it over the line. The only, uh, is Hackett really the Rodgers whisperer? He's, he's 0 for 1. Yeah. I mean, maybe. <sighs> what if Rodgers just wants to retire? I also, by the way, the other thing, the other element of this, how amazing would it be to complete the circle of Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame quarterback legend story arcs that Rodgers literally becomes Brett Favre going to the Jets to end his career after the Packers have finally tired of his bullshit and just said, I don't care if you're coming back or not because we're trading you away. Then Minnesota moves on from Cousins next year and <laughs> Rodgers goes to Minnesota. Right? So Rodgers goes to the Jets, a little you know, mediocre season. Time is just a circle. Yeah. It's just the same shit coming back and happening again and again. And then Rodgers goes to Minnesota, leads them to the NFC Championship in 2024, Man. and then throws an off-balance cross-body pick uh -huh. yeah. to end the game yeah. against maybe Derek Carr's Saints. After taking a beating, like getting really beat up in that game. Getting Illegally, wrecked. mind you. Sure. Not called. Next year we'll have a rule change like the one he's already had instituted where he can't fall on people anymore. Um but, yeah, he'll be bat battered, beat up. There'll be an easy first down there for the take-in, but the man can barely move anymore. So he tries a desperation. He even loses the game. I think, I think that's what's going to happen. The symmetry is just perfect. That's exactly what's going to happen. Anything else on Rodgers? 
mean, just that no, it's the right move for the Jets. Is. What's the right move for Rodgers? What's the right the move Jets. for It's the right move for both parties. It sounds like the Packers are just done with it. They're done. Is there anywhere else where Rodgers might want to go? Should he be thinking NFC? We, we've talked about how the high-level QBs I mean, don't think about if he, this stuff. Like, every quarterback in the NFL should be trying to get to the 49ers, but I doubt they're interested in Rodgers. Brock Purdy's having a surgery right now. Yes. Is it Tommy John? Uh, I didn't see the words Tommy John connected to the description of the surgery, but it was there was some sort of like thing being put in place, and then it was going to be a six-month timetable for recovery. Six months is pushing it. Yeah. They're going to have to start Trey Lance to start the season. Probably. Yeah, he should be looking at uh, – yeah, San Francisco would be tough, though. Right. All right, yeah. I like Rodgers to the Jets. Who does that leave out in the cold here? Jimmy G. Where does Jimmy G land? I don't think he's going to get a starting job. He's getting connected to the Raiders. The Raiders have the seventh pick. they got to draft something. They Raiders can. and but, – but Garoppolo plus a draft pick, maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's what I mean. Like, I don't think he's necessarily going to walk into a starting game. I mean, Tampa Bay is going to legitimately need a starter. Oh, look. We've got PFF Bobby out here in the media talking to people. What's he doing? Aaron Wilson tweets Bobby Slowick on his background at PFF. Quote, that was definitely unique. <laughs> I learned a lot of my time there. They have, a f- they have phenomenal people at Pro Football Focus. Thanks, Bobby. Good work, PFF Bobby. It was unique, huh? Yeah, unique. That's an interesting descriptor right off the bat. Maybe that's why he doesn't give us any breaking news. We're just, <laughs> we're just this unique two-year sample of his life. Thanks, Bobby. Are you responding? Yeah. Not directly to Bobby, but uh, to the tweet. To the response. Responding to uh, Aaron Wilson's quote here. Look at Bobby talking to the media. Just all grown up talking to the media and everything. All right. What else we got to cover here? Uh, trade talk? There were trade rumors for Allen Robinson for the Rams. The Rams are tight on cap space. They're, um, they're rebuilding it, man. They're, yeah. they're tearing it down a little bit. They're it's- going back to... The draft picks. It's kind of fascinating. They've they got their Super Bowl. The entire thing collapsed last year, and their approach is now let's completely abandon the stars and scrubs thing because we need to rebuild this thing. Which I don't know if it's abandoned the. I, I think I mean if Jalen Ramsey gets traded, yes. maybe, but that's probably a. It doesn't give them any cap relief. That's what I mean. Prior to June first, it's, like it's tearing it down. But There's I don't. Whole, they I don't think they're going to do that. I think Robinson. I think it's a fit thing. I think with Wagner. It was like, hey, you know, we, we've never invested in linebacker. Let's take a shot. It didn't work, wins and losses-wise. Allen Robinson just wasn't a fit, injured and all that stuff, but wasn't a fit with Stafford. You could kind of see that early on. They just It just didn't mesh with Stafford and McVay. So I think it's more just trying to move on from bad fits. Yeah, the but, it, I mean, yes, Ramsey would be the – the signal that the whole thing is yeah if they trade Ramsey that's like a a a rebuild I think Alan trading Alan Robinson and releasing Bobby Wagner was hey we tried we tried to pay money at these particular positions last year and these are just not the right guys for us but it is interesting that we need that cap space Sean McVay after sort of dithering about whether he even wanted to be in the NFL anymore is all of a sudden re-signing up for like a rebuild you know I I kind of wonder remember last year where it felt like that's what was happening in Seattle it's like, does Pete Carroll at like 152 years old really want to sign up to like a rebuild project? That didn't make any sense. But and then the all of a sudden, good... Gino comes out of nowhere. Yeah. They have a draft for the ages, and actually the Seahawks are contending again. Like, I kind of wonder if we're going to be looking at the Rams and being like, man, how would Sean McVay really want to sign up to this like tear down rebuild type of thing? And actually, they end up sort of 
juggling some pieces and, you know, Stafford and Cooper Cup come back, and all of a sudden it's like the Rams are, you know, winning 10 games again immediately. It's, you know, this is a, a hope, not a strategy, but if the, if the Rams hit on their draft, I think the, the having Stafford in place and, and, still, and having Cooper Cup come back and Donald, and if Ramsey does come back, I mean, the foundation is still there. Yeah, they still, you know, they they have to have the young guys hit though, right? Obviously, they have to right. do some work on the offensive line, but even there, it's like there's some guys that could still play well there and not just don't get hurt. And that's why I wouldn't, you know, go crazy tearing it down. Like I think this thing could be put back together pretty quickly. And, and that's why I don't think it's a teardown unless it's Ramsey. I don't think Robinson, Allen Robinson, or Bobby Wagner does not signify a teardown. But they're tight on cap space. Yeah, they're. Um, so yeah. the big trade talk though is Derrick Henry potentially being available. And I think the Derrick Henry thing, Tannehill maybe goes as well. Like this, is, this could be signifying a teardown in Tennessee. That feels like they've already started. Which we pre- talked about when we were fixing the team in five minutes. They were one of the two or three teams, right, where we said, start over. The fix is to tear this thing to bits. Um, here's a question for you, though. How many teams would be interested in Derrick Henry? Like, what are the suitors? I think the Bears really? are in the market for a good running back. When Derrick Henry was a free agent a couple years ago, and we're like, stupid free, stupid running backs, we, we hate you. I said, if you're going to invest in Derrick Henry, it, the, the way Tennessee invests in him, like we're going to run you and we're going to run a lot of play action, that kind of made sense. But if you're going to run the ball the way the Ravens do, and even though the Ravens have had you know Gus Edwards, undrafted free agent, averaging five yards per carry. Look at these numbers, by the way. These are after contact Yeah, numbers. they look like good rushing yards. Yes, that's like a good – that's a that's – a, the buildings of a Hall of Fame resume if it was Nine just o- rushing yards. Like Frank Gore doesn't have a career that looks like that just in terms of total rushing yards. Until he's in the Hall of Fame. 905, 1268, 1490, 728, 1257 yards after contact. So to me, I want to see Derrick Henry with a team with a great rushing quarterback. If you're a team that has a great rushing quarterback and you're going to run the ball that much, like the Bears, like the Ravens. I'm not saying the Ravens now, but I said the Ravens a couple years ago. Imagine Derrick Henry in the backfield with Lamar Jackson. Now imagine Derrick Henry in the backfield with Justin Fields. Circling back to the Giants for a minute, that's part of the explanation of Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. Because you know Daniel Jones is going to run so much, and defense has to account for them, and you're going to win the box counts and all that stuff, it puts Saquon Barkley in position to create big plays. Derrick Henry adding a power component to, say, the Bears' offense with, uh, with Justin Fields, who could take it 60 yards at any point like mm-hmm. we've seen. And with all the cap space, I think the Bears are an interesting potential suitor. They are. Can I give you a pitch, though? The, the kneecap-biting, yeah. grinded-out, tough-nosed yeah. Dan Campbells of Detroit. They're losing... They're, uh, they're losing Barry Sanders 2.0 to free agency. Jamal Williams and his 16, 17 touchdowns, whatever he had. Um, DeAndre Swift is a particular type of back, not a workhorse guy. They, they like their passing game um, to the point where Detroit fans are actively hating on us giving them a wide receiver in the first round. They think that's madness. Uh, imagine Derrick Henry in that offense. I kind of love it. Right? Jamal Williams who passed Barry Sanders for the most rushing t- touchdowns last year. And Jamal Williams is a, is a free agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, add Derrick Henry to that. And here's the thing. Trading for a Derrick Henry 
He's got two void years in 24 and 25, so there is some some dead money that the Titans would have to pay there. They, they, they're going to be looking at about $10 million of dead money if, yep. they, if they trade him right now. You're talking about a seven or eight million dollar cap hit for one year for Derrick Henry. It's reasonable. Or trading yeah. trading for players helps a little bit with the money because a lot of it's already paid for by the team that signed him. And you could potentially rework the deal to make it even more palatable for a couple of years. Um, right, man. Derrick Henry on the Lions would be really fun. I, I was also looking think, at the list. I kind of like that one too. I also think it would be kind of crazy, but. This is the kind of move that Kansas City could pull off. I don't see it. I don't see it either, but they just they want to look, I, there is something to. I was I was very attracted to the what the Packers did offensively the last couple of years where they had crazy speed receiver like Christian Watson and a power back like AJ Dillon and you're making the defense do different things. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs who are a, you know, satellite offense, space offense, put satellite guys in yeah, put put guys in space and let them make guys miss Isaiah Pacheco added this power component mm-hmm. this hard running component that made just it's just difficult to do those different things defensively handle a power game handle Mahomes handle receivers but Pacheco can catch the ball too and Henry's never really caught the ball effectively can he catch a screen and run upfield sure yeah yeah that's interesting though it's a kind I just of I don't see it though I think they could pull it off if they decided there was a really interesting role for him in that offense and it's kind of moved the Kansas City they've had this tendency, right, to just sort of go, oh, what would, it be? what would the sort of crazy move that looks just unfair be for this team? Well, yeah, let's yeah, go and yeah. draft, let's go and draft, you know, a first-round running back to add to this ridiculous team. Let's go trade for Kadarius Tony because apparently he's not working out with the Giants. Like, it's a kind of weird move that you're like, how did the rest of the league let that happen? That Kansas City, with this embarrassment of riches already, ends up adding a Derrick Henry to the offense. I don't think it'll happen. I think Detroit is a much more natural fit. And the Bears, maybe, um, but I'd kind of love to see it. The 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 team, a team like the Bears that you know is going to run their quarterback. I'm more likely to say, give me a playmaker at running back. Give me a special skill set at running back. Either someone that's going to instill punishment on the defense, like a Derrick Henry, or someone with breakaway speed, like Saquon Barkley. So that those are the teams I think I would. Those types of teams I would look at. Anything else as far as the. Uh, New trade rumors or anything else going on here? Uh, I think that's probably it. Um, Did you guys talk about Geno Smith? We didn't, I think, talk about the Geno Smith contract, which just feels reasonable. Not that we didn't talk about it, the, the contract. Yeah. Like, it just, fine. Yeah, it's about right. I don't think it necessarily takes them out of the quarterback market. At the Pete top Carroll of the said he, that they weren't out of the quarterback yeah, market, but, but that's, that might just be. Exactly. So talk. I don't think it takes them out one way or the other. I think it's about the right kind of deal. Good for Geno. The dude got paid off the back of his crazy, uh, unexpected bet winning for other people. Um, performance. Yeah, I mean, that's a deal I think that makes sense for all sides. Another one that says three years, $105 million, but is more realistically like a one-year one-year commitment, right. basically, to Geno. So it is another kind of prove-it-out type of deal. Um, what about players that weren't franchise-tagged? So the Chiefs didn't put the franchise tag on Orlando Brown Jr., which was something people thought would probably happen. Yeah, that was an interesting one. And going back to my criticism two years ago of the trade, it was you're going to get a year of cheap Orlando Brown, and then you have to re-sign them. They, spent the, they used the tag last year, so you got a year of expensive Orlando Brown, 
So you got two years out of Orlando Brown, essentially for a first-round pick. You won a Super Bowl with it. Feels pretty good if you're the Chiefs. I'm interested if they walk because of some of the cuts we're seeing. Taylor Luan is out there. Donovan Smith is out there now for the Bucs. Donovan Smith didn't have a great year. Luan's getting a little bit older. Both of those guys have been around the league for eight, nine years. But you can get one of those guys who are a good enough starter, maybe a touch below Orlando Brown, the way he's played the last couple of years, believe the, it or not. Yeah, and the, the dynamic is probably also changing in terms of, remember, we were, one of the arguments I made for why you were wrong was, sure, they've invested big in Orlando Brown and Joe Tooney, but they're paying nothing to Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. The further we get into this, the more that's on the horizon. They have to right? pay them like, well, yeah, can I soon. Can I give Orlando Brown the kind of contract he's talking about and then in a year's time re-up Creed Humphrey, re-up Trey Smith? Like That, I think, is probably a factor now for them. It's interesting, though, because I thought the mentality of all those moves was we never want to have Mahomes with a bad offensive line. Sure. And you're risking that now. By, by, not, by letting Orlando Brown hit the market and not bringing him back, you're risking bringing in a Donovan Smith who might just be a a mid-level pass rusher, or especially drafting. with a, a pass blocker. Or you're risking the draft, right? At the time when they traded for Orlando Brown, they could have drafted, I believe it was like a Samuel Cosme or something like that. And it's like, all right, we're going to take a shot if this rookie tackle can be the guy. It felt like the Chiefs didn't want to play that game. Mm -hmm. Now they're in that game. It could be Taylor Lewan for a year or two, Donovan Smith for a year or two, draft somebody. I think that's okay. I think it's fine. I think they'll be okay, but they're playing this game that they didn't want to play two years ago. Andrew Wiley at right tackle, also a free agent. They've got a couple options there, Lucas Niang or um, Kennard, Darian Kennard. Mm -hmm. But either way, both tackle spots are question for the Chiefs. Um, do we want to talk about Sloan to wrap this up? Because I yeah. thought that was an interesting it was an interesting panel you were on. Thanks. I got to admit, I, it's, it's online. You can find it if you search... Um, SSAC, Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, SSAC main stage, streamed a couple days ago. It's like a nine-hour thing. It is. We're at the six-hour 28 mark, 28-minute <laughs> mark. Yeah. Um, in the Bill James room. It was a, it was a fun experience, the by Bill the way. Bill James room. I got, to, I got to talk shop. He's got his own room. There's three rooms, and the biggest one, the main stage, is named after Bill James. Huh. Who are the others? Shane Battier okay. and Sue Bird, who were both part of various panels. I think they've been doing... Sloan stuff for years. Shane Battier was like the, you know who he is? Yeah. NBA the player. dude with the hand in the face. Hand that was his face. defending technique, right? Yeah. He was the guy that Daryl Morey traded for because he was this undervalued asset around the NBA. He became the poster boy for NBA analytics. I know, by the way, my, my basketball career is very limited to, you know, the, the why for a couple of months before we stopped playing with COVID. But, and I, so it's difficult to know where my game would have gone, you know, given the opportunity to, to really hone my skills. I feel like a guy who defended with the hand in the face thing would have driven me insane. Yeah, can't see the hoop. Yeah, can't see I the feel hoop. like, you know, the, the, it's like Kobe didn't affect him at all, right? Dude somehow was able to just not care that there was a hand in his face right in his eye line. I feel like that would have ruined my game. Like, me specifically, I feel like that would have just ruined me. That's why Battier was an undervalued stud. I mean, you were kind of the Shane Battier of Cincy Y players. <laughs> you know, he's kind of feisty defensive player and hit a shot every now and then. I mean, you have to be when you're bringing nothing else to the table. Yeah. So we were in the Bill James room. Um, I did get to talk shop with Bill James a little bit. And nice. Daryl Morey, 76ers president who, again, runs Sloan. It was a fascinating cast of characters in the green room mm -hmm. you'd see like uh, Jonathan Kraft was there Bob Kraft was just running in and out and 
some chess masters, like all sorts of different e-sports uh, e people, mm. all sorts of different people. So okay. it was fun. Um, but we, we had the panel. It was myself, Thomas Dimitrov, who's now at Sumer Sports, where uh, Dr. Eric Eager works. The late. The late, Derek. Rest in peace, Dr. Eager. Uh, Kevin Demoff, president of the Rams. And Jackie Davidson, who works in the front office for the Bucks, And then Seth Walder from ESPN was our moderator. So a couple – I, I want to get – there's a clip that I want to play. Before we get to that, was there any other quick takeaways or – I didn't – I felt like I left a little on the table. I feel like I didn't do a great job. It wasn't my best overall uh, contribution, I would say. Yeah. I thought it was good. I thought it was an interesting panel. It started a little bit, um, you know, stiffly. Like I said, it was sort of question, answer, question, answer. There wasn't a lot of back and forth. There wasn't a lot of sort of discussion as much as just, it was like those, you know, those presidential debates where it's like, they're not a debate. Like you get two minutes, then the next person gets 30 seconds. And then you get, you know, it's not, it's not really a discussion. Um, but there were some interesting things raised in it. I thought the most fascinating part was Kevin Demoff in particular seemed to be kind of aligned with Rick Spielman in that whole um, not factoring in position value almost at all. And I, I, I've sort of, what I think it is, is remember, a, you, go, you don't have to go back too far where the prevailing sort of narrative around the draft was, and this is true, you can't reach for need because otherwise you end up drafting like the Raiders, right? You can't reach for need. That's bad. Just draft best player available. Don't overthink it. Draft the best players. And that was your thing, right? Just draft good players. You, you draft the best player available. That's the way you draft. Um, but I think at the, working at the other end of that, there is the tension between you don't want to reach for a position of need because then you end up uh, overval or, yeah, overvaluing specific individual players and goofing because there is no evidence to say that you can outdraft other people. But the problem with just drafting best player available is you will draft players that are at positions that aren't valuable. And that where, finding the balance between those two things that work in exact opposite forces is, I think, where the edge is to drafting. And everybody, all these guys, whether it's Demoff, Spielman, like they think they're doing the right thing because they're like, well, yeah. we're, not, we're not reaching. We're just drafting best player available. But in doing that, you're completely ignoring this thing, which is a factor, which, by the way, you acknowledge because you're not drafting kickers, you're not drafting fullbacks, you're not drafting punters. You already know intuitively that there's, like, position value here, right? Yeah. It, we just don't extend it to other positions like running backs or off-the-ball linebackers, et cetera. Since, since our conversation with our friend Rick where I was trying to ask the question, where do you start factoring that in? Do you build a board of just the best players? and then say, okay, don't take the running back here because it's not as valuable. I, I've been on, this, on the quest for this answer, and I was kind of trying to you know, get some answers on the panel, and I asked some other people around Indy and all that stuff, and I can't remember who told me, and I don't think it's confidential or anything, but hopefully not. I've probably revealed some stuff I shouldn't have. <laughs> there, it was funny. There was a team at our PFF party, a team of like four front office people with a team. They're like, hey, what should we do in the first round, say? Yeah. And I'm just giving answers. Ah, oh, do this, sign this guy, trade this guy. And they're just sitting there smiling. I'm like, all right, give me something. Who, who are you looking at? And crickets. Nobody gave me anything. I'm over there giving them free advice. You, you got suckered in. Completely suckered. You got to, it's quid pro quo here. Can, yeah. I, I need, you know, I need something back. The one piece of inside info I think I got, I probably shouldn't repeat mm. at all. But anyway, um, I've been trying to ask people. Where does positional value come in? And I can't f remember who told me, but they said it probably comes in at the scouting level. 
Yeah. Right? You go into the offseason and say, we want a speed receiver. We want a tall receiver. We want a, a fat guy up front to stop the run. And so maybe last year the Eagles— I think the panel, it might have been on the panel. It might have been on they, the panel. Where they sort of said something along those lines, which is it's kind of baked into the process that scouts start automatically doing that to kind of bias the, the evals. So, you're, so what you're doing is you're kind of cheating the system, right? So you're not, you're not actually going best player available. Right. You're saying we, we want a 350-pound nose tackle, make Jordan Davis's grade higher this season. And you're not actually able to cross-compare across seasons what this nose tackle looks like versus that. Or you're not really going best player available. So that part's really interesting to me. Well, There's was... a comfort, though, in we're taking the best player. Of course. Um... But it was it was interesting because Demoff like did acknowledge that sort of statistical thing that's been proven, which is no team is better than others at drafting. They're not better at picking the right players. You can't you can't be overconfident in that, and yet they sort of haven't tied it together with the the element of position value. Um, the other thing I think that was pretty interesting was you got onto a discussion about. Uh, we've talked about this before, right? It's kind of easy doing it in this chair of zero consequences, right? You just do the best practice. This is this is the area of potential edge versus everybody else. And I think it was Demoff who was asking essentially whether the league has like proscribed um, best practice out of the game because head coaches, GMs, everybody's on a two or three year life cycle. Yeah. So you can't, you don't have the time essentially to do it the right way because you get fired and then the next, you know what I mean? It starts over again. And he was sort of saying it's this almost self-fulfilling or compounding element where the guys that win get given the time to then continue best practice. And all of a sudden they're getting bet. Like it's why the Patriots potentially have had this dynasty in a league that's doing everything they can to stop that happening with the draft, with, you know, for, with salary caps. Like, it shouldn't be possible to do what they did. But the reason it is, is because once you get your foot in the door and start winning, you can then actually start doing things the way they're supposed to be done, theoretically, that other people can't do because they get fired. Yeah, there's, there's two things on that really quick. The Aaron Rodgers discussion that we're having, we're having it from what's the best thing for the Jets right now and kind of for the future. Or right? the Daniel Jones conversation. Like, well, these are all parts of this like best pro- what is, what should you be doing to like maximize it, the win percentage even if it's only you know a couple like it's a million dollars here or there yeah i'm using the rogers example only because i think the, the jets can take a shot on rogers for two years and just like they took a shot on zach wilson it doesn't set the franchise back you could just find the next quarterback and you just keep working at it but the reality is robert sala and joe douglas this aaron Rodgers move is like the move for their tenure with the Jets. Right. It's either going to work or it's not. This is their, their la- not their last chance, but if this doesn't work out, they might be gone. They might be done job-wise. And we never look at it from, I've only got a two-year window or one-year window. We look at it from, what's the best thing for now and then also for the future. But that's why I think, again, the Daniel Jones one is, is a good example as well because they might agree that, you know what, the actual percentage play is to put them on the non-exclusive franchise tag, play out one more year and do it that way. But if he does play out that year, it doesn't work out. We have to go in a different direction. We're probably all getting fired. So we might as well treat him like he is the guy. Yeah. Because if he isn't, we're screwed anyway. So the, the first question on the panel, and I do I, I encourage people to listen to it, even though, again, I, I didn't feel 
great coming out of it. I felt like I could have pushed back a little bit on some things or questioned a few things, whatever it was, um, or, or just give, give more insight or better answers on my end. So I apologize for a mediocre performance. But the very beginning, the first question that our friend Seth asked was, if you were starting from scratch, mm-hmm. an analytical you know, front office, what would it look like? And they didn't ask me because I don't have to build it. The other three are in the middle of it. But my answer is it is synergy between the owner, the GM, and the head coach. And I can't remember if Thomas said it, again, during the panel or to me off air, but the idea that you want to tie incentives from the head coach and the GM and the president, you want, the, you want their incentives to be tied together. Because in organizations, you have the head coach on different contracts from the GM and they, they're incentivized differently and the reporting structures are different. You need everybody aligned. Right. And then the owner ultimately should be like, hey, GM, I can't let you make decisions for your job security. It's human nature. I know you want to stick around for another two years, but I can't let you make a move to try to save your job for two years when it's going to put me in a hole after I fire you <laughs> in right. three years. So the, the best way and the easiest way to do it in this seat is to think from that lens that there is that alignment at the top of the organization. Yeah. The problem is I think they're probably very good at hiding the reasons for that, even if that's the motivation. Like it's very easy to sell an owner that, hey, we believe Daniel Jones is amazing. Let's give him this deal. As opposed to if the true motivation was, what's the risk? If we get it wrong, we're all fired. You know what I think is more difficult though? I think it'd be more difficult to with the for the Giants convincing them that Daniel Jones is not the guy we want to invest in. Maybe. They yeah, just yeah. made it to the playoffs for the first time in five years. Right. They just won a playoff game, right? Daniel Jones is probably through four years. Think about the history of the Giants. Eli Manning was nothing through three or four years, and then he won a Super Bowl. So there's a lot of that going on. It would be very difficult to, to say, we're, we're moving on from Daniel Jones after our first playoff win in however many years. The one other thing you got onto that I found kind of fascinating was um, Kevin Demoff again effectively said that if you if you're close to contending like if you're a team that's really right there Cincinnati say that's when you have to go all in right and and because he he essentially said that the the gamble the mistake teams make is incorrectly identifying when they're really on the cusp like they just essentially over like they they think they're better than they are and they go all in and they weren't really a couple of players away and then they the whole thing collapses and unspools etc i think though the mistake is actually so i if you've got to the position where you're a true contender i actually kind of feel like that's when you need to have the self-discipline to not go all in and say no no no, we like keep doing the things that got us here and let's try and maintain at this level like kansas city kansas city got to the point where they won a super bowl they have patrick mahomes all right, now let's give him a 10-year, half-a-billion-dollar deal so that we can do this for a decade. So we're not like – we don't just throw everything at this team and try and win two Super Bowl, like three in a row and bounce when the whole thing collapses. Like I, I found it very interesting that they were – they think you sort of have a duty to the team, to the ownership, to make sure you get the one as opposed to let's make sure we're in the title game every year and hope the variance bounces our way every now and again. I also feel like the Chiefs situation is always, you know, it's unique compared to what everybody else is dealing with. Yeah, but the Rams like, had to make that decision to go from Goff to Stafford to to maximize that window but that so, they felt but like. But did they, they? That's my point. Like they they felt obviously it worked. You can't argue with what the Rams did because they got Stafford. He went on a run in the playoffs. They won a Super Bowl. And even if it all collapses and they get nothing, I think he said this in the Sloan thing. Like you would take that, right? The 
the sort of three-year run where they got to one, then won another, then won one, you'd take that as an outcome if that was all you got. If the team was terrible for the next 25 years, it's still worth it. But I would simply ask what the counterfactual is. Like, let's say you don't trade for Matthew Stafford. You persist with Goff. You instead continue to try and put a, as good a team around Goff as possible. Isn't there a chance that you win as you win anyway? Or if you didn't win that year, maybe you win the next year. You know what I mean? Like they were close. There's a the chance. The whole time. There's a chance. So but that's they, that's but kind they of hadn't point. been close for three straight years, two years, two straight years, whatever it was. All right, couple. I, I want to play a couple clips from it. So the first one is about receivers. If you're a podcast listener here, you've heard me say this before. Receivers, the second most valuable position behind quarterback. Mm-hmm. Seth Walder, who's uh, analytically inclined, is an analytics writer for ESPN came up with a list of the most valuable positions. He reads them off, and he says QB first, receiver second, and then hopefully Tyler's ready with this one. But uh, then <laughs> I responded, and then uh, the panel also responded. Let's hold off on that for a second. I think the receiver being two, I completely agree with, and I think the league finally caught on last year. I think we saw last year in the offseason, if you couldn't get elite quarterback, you went and got elite receiver, alpha receiver who we've seen – A.J. Brown, Tyreek Hill, become force multipliers for their teams. And I think that in Jamar Chase versus Panay Sewell, when that big debate, my hometown, Cincinnati now, do the Bengals, who just had Joe Burrow hurt because of bad pass blocking, 10 years ago, they're they're drafting the left tackle. They're drafting the tackle over the receiver. But, But they drafted Jamar Chase, and he has transformed that offense. And so I think that top, at least I agree with, quarterback and receiver, and I think the league's starting to catch on to that. Do you guys agree that wide receiver is the most important non-quarterback position? No. Everybody said no. Mm. Don't agree with me. Mm -hmm. I think that came through there. But Thomas said no. Kevin Demoff said no. Don't agree with you that receiver's the second most valuable position. Yeah. Now, what I – when we talk about positional value, because they're all – Demoff, Demoff handles a lot of the financials, right? He's the one who's kind of keeping the cap in line for um, Les Snead and everything there. And uh, Jackie, you know, works with the cap and all that stuff. They're all saying no. I think because they're talking, does that mean you're just going to pay everybody the most money at receiver? And I yeah. wasn't necessarily saying that. But I stand by my point that re- the receiver on the field is the second most important position as far as winning games. And you have to figure out the best way yeah. to maximize that position doesn't necessarily mean pay them the most money, but I also think oh, it's been does. worth paying Devontae Adams and all those guys the most money, even if Devontae, like that was the example that they saw. That yeah, didn't work I mean, last year. It, it probably does mean that. I mean, if you're looking at Cincinnati, it's probably a good example. Like they're they're going to have to pay Joe Burrow the next market-setting contract for a quarterback. Then they need to determine, once you've done that, you know, this is like Kansas City, this is like Buffalo. Once you've done that, you have three or four other big contracts that you can give out and then everyone else is on peanuts you know what i mean what what is the sequence of those players that gets the next deal and it probably is i mean okay the Bengals are in a special situation because their second best player is probably jamar chase so it, it makes sense but if you were saying in isolation right the quarterback is getting his 50 million dollar plus deal who's next up well it's probably the guy he's throwing the ball to otherwise what are we doing you want an offensive line, like your offensive line as a unit might be the second most valuable thing, but you need five guys there. So you can't just say all five of them get market setting money because you can't do that. 
So it probably is the wide receiver. Maybe you can argue that one elite defender, you know, is worth that. Can, you know, is a Sauce Gardner, a Micah Parsons, a Chris Jones, Aaron Donald, like, are they worth the next? Probably. But, like, they're special. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's generally the guy the quarterback is throwing the ball to. And if it isn't, it's a truly special rule-breaking player at a different position. I'm surprised Thomas said no after he made the big trade up for Julio Jones. He saw the impact of Julio Jones on Matt Ryan throughout his career. And I only used last year as a quick example because we have a 45-minute panel. 45 minutes is how I answer one of your questions on this podcast. We had to keep it tight. Yeah. But we saw Tyreek Hill turn Miami into a good offense. We saw A.J. Brown turn the Eagles into a great offense, and the Titans fall off. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs were the only one who who offset things a little bit. And Devontae Adams didn't transform the Raiders, yeah. but the Packers fell apart, right? Like the the right. the seesaw here. See, that's the thing. Yeah, you 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 really let yourself and everybody else around you down there. So I didn't push back. Damoff's answer Enough. was terrible. He was like, well, Miami didn't win a playoff game with Tyreek Hill. To which the obvious answer is, yeah, but they got there. Like, I mean... And then he was like, he brought up the Devontae Adams thing. Devontae Adams didn't transform the Raiders, to which your counter was, as you've just discovered. Yeah, but the Packers fell apart. Exactly. But I made it, I was trying to be, I was trying to be tactful and not talk over people or interrupt. And then the other weird point he made was like, well, we gave Cooper Cup more money and we were bad the next year. Okay, but like 58 other things happened. Like everybody got injured, including Cooper Cup. And in the year they won the Super Bowl, Cooper Cup had one of the best receiver seasons of all time. Yeah. So... This is me being George Costanza, going back, saying, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. Yeah. I'm back. I got my rebuttals three days later. Well done. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready for the panel next year. I could be better. Maybe you could just attach it to the video. You could make your own edit, like the, the Palazzolo edit. I'll just edit. What, instead of who cares about Thomas's answers or anything, I'll just, I'll just, just chop mine in there. Take the Sloan thing, right? And then we can edit in these rebuttal parts of this podcast, and it can be the Palazzolo edit of the Sloan panel. Anyway, so th- those were the good discussions. And look, at the end of the day, it all worked out for me because <laughs> I did finally get, I got some, fir- some important people to understand that I'm a GM candidate and I may have even gotten a, a GM offer here oh, yeah? on the panel. It's now, they want to parlay it into two, three, and four contracts. There's a lot of money on the table for these guys. It used to be a million dollars. It may now be $6 million. I know you hate... Hate to hear that when you're talking budget, Kevin, but there's a lot there for those GMs, right? That's why Steve's going to come for cheap. <laughs> I'll do it for cheap. Yeah. I mean, cheap-ish. 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 I mean, it's still built through the draft, right? You guys still built through the draft. You still had to hit on starting linebackers and safeties, but having Jalen Ramsey and knowing what you're getting, it's a combination. It's a combination. You guys knew how to pull those levers because it can't just be one thing or the other. And I mean... So there we go. I, I answered another question after that, but I got the GM offer on the cheap. I mean, that works out for everybody because apparently this podcast does better numbers when you're not on it. So you go be GM. Me wow. and Mike, we'll, we'll, we'll take it from here. I saw they had a graphic that had Mike Renner's name on it, not Steve Palazzolo. They didn't they update it. that? Can they update that, please? Well, no, it's probably, this one's probably your name. But I'm just saying that we, the, the graphics are already made for Mike. You know, you can... Get right out of there into your GM role, and we'll just, we'll just pick it up from here. Thomas describing this job that's $6 million now. I mean, I'd, I'd do it for less. I'd do it for three. Sure. I'd do it for two. <laughs> I'll do it for two. What's the lowest amount you'd take a GM job for? Six fifty. Six fifty. Yeah. Huh. Six fifty. Anything below that, I feel like I'm selling myself short. <laughs> but the real goal here is I want a four-year deal, 
And um, look, if I run the team into a ground for two years, you can cut this part out. If I run them into the ground for two years, you know, you sit at home for a couple. I, I wouldn't look for another job. I mean, that's two point six million, right? If you, I'll take that. You run guaranteed. Yeah. Let's say seven fifty, <laughs> minimum, four year deal. I got you. I'll bring the okay. draft model. We gotta get out of here because I'm on a radio now. You're on radio. Yeah. All right, you go take radio. Um, I'm gonna be back again tomorrow. Back to back days here. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow with more PFF NFL podcast.